What number is this, Chip? Episode 108, Andy Partridge of XTC. <laughs> okay, don't, mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. podcast full of monkeys i'm ken mills your host here today and today we have from the band xtc andrew partridge andrew partridge is part of the band xtc has had a fantastic career and he's a huge monkeys fan and he was asked to write songs for the monkeys and he brought you bring the summer and love is what i want one of the bonus tracks off the good times album so without further ado here we are andrew partridge on zilch Hey, citizens of world, this is Andy Partridge of XTC. You're listening to my dulcet tones on Zilch. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the Zilch podcast, we have what I'm going to call a, a, a super monkeys fan. He has a cape and everything. From the band XTC, the one, the only, Andrew Partridge. Welcome to Zilch. I actually, as a, as a teenager, I did have... The shirt with the big buttons, the double-paneled shirt, you know the mm-hmm. thing? Absolutely. Do you got pics of it? I don't, unfortunately, but I pestered my mother to get this from her mail-order catalog. And uh, it was like for birthday or Christmas or something. And then um, I, I managed to uh, managed to persuade somebody uh to to let me have their old hipster flares and mm. and got a uh, a big white plastic belt so i looked reasonably monkey and i and i did my darndest to get my hair to go like peter torx because i i couldn't do a mickey i couldn't do a davy and i i certainly couldn't do a mike but i could sort of do a kind of tupperware haircut peter torx thing you know mm-hmm. now did you do the belt on the side I, I tried to, to make, because my girlfriend at the time called Pat was obsessed with the monkeys. My first kind of, first girlfriend, holdy hands, little kiss, you know, sat on the stairs while the parents were in the living room watching TV on a Sunday, this kind of thing. You know, she was she was obsessed with the monkeys, so this, this was all great to, to get me in, you know, high in her good books. <laughs> well, I'm glad it worked. So I, I didn't quite have the shoes. Ah. I remember borrowing my my father had some very groovy. I don't know what the hell he was doing with them. Very groovy corduroy shoes, corduroy mm. slip-ons, and um, they were a bit too big for me at the time. So I I stuffed the fronts with newspaper. <laughs> so if you if you you know a bit like Hollywood really, if you poked between you know if you poke the scenery it all fall to pieces so yeah yeah so there i am you know sat on the so or ran in the kitchen of the youth club around the corner which her father was the caretaker for the hall so we could kind of hang out in the kitchen with the with the um the weird kids and and uh play lps and stuff on the uh, the youth club record player 
and so yeah there i was in my my um kind of ersatz monkey gear wow yeah now what did the other kids think of you running around as an ersatz monkey well they probably thought what a complete toss bag you know (laughs) but uh i didn't care you know i was i was tunneling my way into pat's heart Right, and that and that was yeah. that was more important than being cool to your uh, schoolmates. So yeah, and it was also easier to do because they, you know, they didn't have Sergeant Pepper gear in my mother's mail order catalog. Right, I, you know, now, I couldn't sit there and go and say to my mum, "Mom, I'd like to be George this Christmas." <laughs> no, I couldn't do that, but I could say, "Hey, hey, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll do anything if you get me one of these shirts." Knowing very well that. You know, the reason that shirt was advertised in that catalog was it kind of looked like a monkey's shirt. So it was kind of a monkey's knockoff. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow. I remember, I remember my cousin in the very genteel town of Cheltenham. My cousin Paul had a, a plastic beetle wig. And when we'd go up there, seemingly every bloody Sunday, I had to be dragged by my parents a drive you know they drove to Cheltenham but they were the sort of parents that would never allow the windows to come down in the car and oh, they both smoked that's the worst oh and then they're they're asking me why I'm green <laughs> I can't breathe I, I just can't breathe you know <laughs> I've just smoked 30 cigarettes on the drive and you're asking me why I'm green no and he had this plastic beetle wig but my own hair was actually longer than it. And my hair was sort of dirty blonde at the time, so I'd put this plastic beetle wig on, which really cut into your head, because it was vacuum-formed. Right. You know, it was like... Um, it was like every evangelical minister's kind of <laughs> hair. You know, va- black vacuum-formed. Black plastic but, hair. Uh, yeah, he'd let me try it on, but I never left it on for very long, because... It looked really naff because my my real hair was longer than it, and it, and it dug into my head. But yeah, I was I was I, I loved kind of pop stuff. Mm-hmm. And it it shows in all of your music. For people who may not be aware of who you are, you've you've been a staple of my music collection since the late seventies. I remember the first time I ran into you guys. Uh, it was That's actually the 1870s, right? No, 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 <laughs> 1970s. Yeah, you had the early cylinders. I know yeah. you did. <laughs> I remember seeing your video the same place I saw Michael Nesmith's cruising video, and that was on. Ah, uh, what was that on MTV? No, this was way before MTV. This was on Don Kirshner's rock concert, and I saw. Oh, only really? Making, yeah, I saw only making plans for Nigel. Oh, right. Yeah, I wouldn't even know we would have been on that, you see. Yeah, so it was a big deal. Uh, it was the show that was on after Saturday Night Live, to give you some context. Oh, okay. So all the really cool people, like us in the art room, we would watch that show. I know it doesn't sound very cool now, but we'd talk about it the next Monday, and you were one of those bands that we said, hey, we need to check this out, so... We would do oh, things. Yeah, like, that was the era when, if you saw any music on television, it was a cultural event. Mm-hmm. Because if 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 uh, you know youngsters especially uh, saw some music that a certain proportion of them would really dig, 
at school the next day or in the job the next day. You say, hey, did you see that band? Whatever, whoever it was, you know. And uh, it was, like I say, a kind of cultural thing where everyone got it or everyone didn't get it. And uh, now it's so sort of shattered with the net and all that kind of stuff, you know. Who knows what? Who knows what? Who's watching? And the weird thing is, just by the fact that you had a video, that that your band had a video on there, you were on the same level as David Bowie and Michael Nesmith instantly. You know, it didn't take anything but having that video. It it made us think that you guys were that huge already. You know what I'm saying? We had the worst trousers out of all of those <laughs> two comparisons. You didn't have the gray there trousers. There are trousers together in the yeah. band ever. Yeah. You didn't have the uh, gray trousers from the first season of The Monkees. No, but I'll tell you what. When we did the Dukes of Stratosphere, our psychedelic alter ego, mm-hmm. Dave Gregory still had and could still get into them his jumbo cord hipsters from about 66, 67. He still had them in his wardrobe. Wow. I know. That's scary. That's like saying, you know, I, hey, I've still got Tutankhamun's wraps. I'm going to put them around me. And hey, I can still get into these wraps from, you know, 2000 BC. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for, for those who do not realize, you, you have an incredible career unto yourself. You're a fantastic songwriter. And you recently uh, came on to the Monkees fans' radar because you wrote a song that was on Good Times. Yeah, I did. Um, and man, I tell you, I was so flattered, flattened even. I was totally flattened to be asked to do that. Um, because, you know, they're up there with my other kind of child pop gods. You know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Kinks, right. the Monkeys, the Small Faces, you know, in that that pantheon of, of pop gods. They're They're right up there. And because they were shown on the TV every week, uh, you know, piped straight into your living room every every week, it was like having little segments of Hard Day's Night or Help or whatever. You know, you you uh, that was that was smart stuff to get the kids hooked. I tell you, but they, no, that was so it was so thrilling to be asked to um, to to write them a song.
Andrew Sandoval, and you're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast. Their, their current manager, a fellow called Andrew Sandoval, um, when we were making the album Oranges and Lemons in, in L.A., uh, I don't know why we went to L.A. What, who, who in their right mind would ever go to L.A.? <laughs> um, but we found ourselves in L.A. Uh, totally the wrong footwear for it as well. Um, but uh, we were making the Oranges and Lemons album, and Andrew Sandoval apparently came by for an interview and asked, could we do an interview? No, he was only, you know, a struggling whatever he was at the time, but whatever it was, it was a struggling one. Yes. Uh, and I said, yeah, sure. And um, he was so grateful and so kind of, yeah, just thankful that we do that for him, that when he became the Monkey's manager in later years, I think maybe he, you know, wanted to pay the favor back in some way and say, hey, write a, write a song for my boy's comeback, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, really thrilling. And, and, and I, I enjoyed every second of it. I, I, I had time to, to write um, two new ones uh, because they said, oh, we need it immediately, you know, kind of next week mm-hmm. timing kind of thing. We need it by yesterday. So I, I wrote and demoed two new songs with the monkeys in mind, specifically. Uh, one which was a single called um, You Bring the Summer. I had the title, but I didn't... I, I've had the title for a couple of years, but I didn't have any music that really went with it. Uh, and then I wrote another one called uh, Love's What I Want. And um, so I, I recorded these double quick time and, and, and zapped them over. And also sent over some tracks that I had, uh, to be frank, lying around that I thought they might like and they might, you know, be able to do their version of them. But um, if they'd have done all that, I would have ended up kind of writing half the album, which would would have somewhat miffed the other contributors. You right. know. But you could but have had say, your... I tried to make a, a real uh, sort of, how shall I say, a real bona fide monkey song i mean monkey the best monkey songs are phenomenally good you know stuff like mm-hmm. last trend to clarksville pleasant valley sunday uh the theme song uh oh just too many to mention oh randy scouse git which which had a different title in england uh, it, uh randy scouse git when it was released in england was called um alternate title yes because the actual title randy scouse git uh, in English means horny Liverpool bastard. Uh, and I guess the record company thought it couldn't release a, a record with that title. Yeah, it's even frowned on today. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. But uh, so they just said, well, can we have an alternate title? And they said, okay, we'll call it alternate title. But yeah, so, so Randy Liverpudlian bastard didn't make the charts alternate title did. now I loved the, the best of the monkeys stuff and uh, did my darndest to to um, to make those uh, things I wrote for them you know fit that bill because they had such good writers you know they've got Carol King writing they've got um, uh, Neil Diamond just mm-hmm. don't let Neil sing okay <laughs> um, great, great writer now Neil can't sing I'm afraid but he's a really good writer um, you know, uh, uh, Boyce and Hart, good writers. Um, you know, what did they do? Did they do Last Train to Clarksville? Yes. I think they did. Yes, they did. 
you know. Um, and so uh, just to be considered in the the pantheon of, of people that wrote for the monkeys, wonderful. A real, a real thrill made me a kind of a super excited 13-year-old again. Makes perfect sense. So let's go back to where it all started with you. What was your first memory that you can remember of finding the monkeys? Ah, I'm really not sure. It was probably um, the TV series, you know, coming on our screens, which I think was at some point in 67, and I would have been 13. And then my mother, who worked in a, a news agents, would bring home, I'm sure she didn't pay for them. I never got to ask her this. You know, she used to to bring home these magazines and stuff for me. I'm sure she just nicked them. But um, she would bring home these American pop magazines that would occasionally come in, like things like Tiger Beat and stuff, uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after a while, Monkeys Monthly, because they had their own little kind of black and white photograph pocketbook like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones did. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the first thing really was... Um, you know, that the hype of this panda as big as the Beatles and you're going to be getting them on your screens. And and I thought, yeah, I, I kind of associate a bit with the, you know, the archetype goofy one, the Ringo of the band, which was Peter Tork, because I looked a little bit like him at the time, you know, skinny kid with blonde pudding basin hairdo. And um, I was getting... At that point in my life, I was getting interested in the crazy possibility of, in the future, I might be a pop musician. Because I couldn't see, I was struggling to see any other way off of the council estate that we lived on. And if you don't know what a council estate is, it's it's kind of where the poorer people live in England. Uh, I think the, the equivalent in, in America might be a, a trailer park or the projects, you know council estate that I could think of would be something like uh, joining the Navy, uh, like my father was uh, was a sailor, joining the Navy and seeing the world that way and trying not to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, um, learning to play a guitar and, and uh, the completely fantastical idea of learning to write a song. And then, um, yeah, touring the world and being a hard day's help slash the monkeys, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that was the first time I uh, really got into them. And I, of course, I loved the, I loved things like, you know, I'm a believer, last train to Clarksville, the, 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 the early stuff you're exposed to, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, there is a wonderful picture that I've seen that you've drawn. And you actually, yeah. you were, tell, t- tell us the story about this piece of art. We're going to show it on the Facebook page and it'll be part of the artwork for this episode. Tell us about well, this Well, I drawing. guess you're talking about the, um, th- this uh, black and white pocket yes. magazine that, that was called The Monkeys Monthly, I think, mm-hmm. um, had uh, a competition in it. And the competition, competition was Draw a Monkey and you could win 10 pounds, which was a phenomenal sum of money. To me as a kid, Mm -hmm. at the age of 13 in 1967, 68, whenever it was early 68, maybe, um, 10 pounds, wow, that's off the chart, you know? 
And um, that, I think that was probably about the equivalent of $40 to a kid in in uh, the same era in the States, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. So I thought, yeah, I can, I can do this. And um, I, I thought, okay, who, which one can I probably draw the best? Because I, I liked caricaturing. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked drawing kids at school and if the kid had a big nose or floppy lips or a long head or whatever, I enjoyed caricaturing, all, stretching it all and messing around with it. And I, I used to get into trouble drawing the teachers this way as well. <laughs> I... You know, I'd, 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 I'd get some chalk from the, from the, from the classroom and I'd be uh, on, on the door of the generator room or whatever, I'd be drawing a, a caricature of a teacher and the kids all around me they stood all around me in the playground laughing and then suddenly the laughter had stopped and I think oh I wonder what's wrong and I turn around and there'd be that very teacher stood looming over me you know so I used to get into trouble from caricaturing but I loved doing it and so I thought okay I'll caricature a monkey who's the easiest one to caricature and the most extreme uh, facially I thought was Mickey yes um, you know, he had those kind of oriental-looking, screwed-up, happy eyes, uh, the great big um, uh, giant portion spoon chin, uh, and that really wide mouth, and the kind of curly hair, the, you know, the very difficult-to-get-straight hair. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to caricature him. So, so I drew him. And I had him holding a pair of drumsticks, and I sent it away to the magazine and forgot all about it. And um, my mother brought Monkey's Monthly home from the newsagents, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this just fell into my handbag, dear. Here it is, you know. So I uh, actually, no, I think, I, I think by that point I had a subscription. I, there you go. But anyway, I opened this magazine up, and it said, Winners, Monkey's Competition. I thought, oh, I wonder which pictures have won and how good they are. And there was one of mine. There was, I mean, not one of mine. There was mine. There was my drawing on that page. And I was absolutely gobsmacked, you know. Um, the other ones on the page looked like the kids had either traced or done their darndest to copy conventional photographs of the monkeys, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Yours was I was the only caricature. one that did a caricature, as far as yeah. I can remember. And uh, yeah, I got, I got, they, they posted me 10 pounds. And my father said, hey, there's a, you, want, you wanted a tape recorder. There's a, a tape recorder for sale in this newspaper here, and they want 21 pounds for this, this Grundig, secondhand Grundig tape recorder. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put the 11 pounds because I could mess around with it too. I'll put the 11 pounds on this uh, with your 10 pounds and shall we get this tape recorder? And my dad, you know, helped, bless him, bless his cotton ears, he helped me get this tape recorder, which was fantastic because that sort of started me on down the road to wanting to record my early fumblings messing around on a guitar. Figured out how to do demos, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I two years from that, I was writing my first songs and pathetically demoing them on this um, on this Grundig secondhand Grundig machine. And the monkeys drawing a monkey inadvertently started me on the road to having a pop career. You know. 
So all XTC fans owe it to the monkeys. In a perverse way, yeah. In a perverse <laughs> caricatured way, yeah. yeah. this time well i was 13 when i was 13 in 67 i've got a funny feeling that the magazine you're talking about was at some point in 68 so i would have been 14 i am an artist by trade and i i look at this drawing and to me it looks like it's well beyond its years you know as far as a 14 year old doing that seriously it uh very impressive. Well, thanks, but like I say, I got lots of practice. I used to draw the kids in the class and yeah. the teachers and stuff and friends. So it was something I loved doing. And at one point, I had fantasies of making my living as an artist. Mm-hmm. But when I realized that girls were more attracted to a man holding a guitar than they were attracted to a man holding a pencil, yep. My allegiance has changed. The struggle is real, as they say. I I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, (laughs) Just don't try sharpening your guitar. No, that that doesn't work. It doesn't work. The only way that works is if you have one of those Gene Simmons basses, but then you've got to be careful. (laughs) Uh, Gene Simmons, wasn't she wonderful in those early Hollywood (laughs) films? Yes. Always loved it when she would spit blood. It was fantastic. Yeah, we spout blood, and she'd have the the fire shooting fire from the guitar and scorching up all those other Hollywood greats. Fantastic. Kids so, should give me a ring. I should I should write them some songs. Yeah, actually, that would be fantastic. I would love to hear Kiss do an Andrew Parcher's song. That would be amazing. I'm a huge Kiss fan, so. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe maybe I can make that happen. Maybe I can make that happen. Oh, jeez, you on a bike. <laughs> I've got a funny feeling that's not going to happen. Well, there There is some more monkey news, actually, but I can't really tell you about it because it's still top secret. It's it's still in the ether, as they say. It's uh, Yeah. It's not so, really... Yeah, in fact, I've I've said too much already, so I'm I'm zipping my mouth on that for now. Mum's the word on that. Monkey's the but, word. But uh, yeah, so it was wonderful to to caricature a monkey and and inadvertently start a, a career recording. You know. Mm-hmm. So you were able to get a subscription to the magazine. When were you able to get your first monkeys records? I think the first one I got was when did when did their first album come out? 66? I think I had... Well, I had their first album, you know, the 
whatever it was called, Monkeys First, The Monkeys, Meet yeah. the Monkeys, It's the Monkeys, well, you know, it was the first one. Yeah. Um, I had that, I think I got that with like, you know, aunties or, or and, and other people would give you record vouchers for your birthday or Christmas. I think mm-hmm. I got that on vouchers. And I think around about the same time I got uh, Sergeant Pepper as well. So it would have been some point in 67. Yeah. Yeah. So the, those were really my first two albums. I, c- I didn't have a job, so I couldn't afford an album. They were expensive. Right. But if you stored up enough uh, record tokens, you know, you could you could trade those in. And So I remember having Sgt. Pepper's and The Monkey's first album. And I got all of their albums. I got... Um, I got headquarters. Uh, my favorite one was Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, because I, I was a big psychedelic nut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sixty-seven went on into sixty-eight. I really was was really big on psychedelia. Pisces, Aquarius was the uh, the first pop album that had a Moog synthesizer on it, or Moog rather, Moog synthesizer, mm-hmm. uh, because Mickey bought one. When he uh, he went to the um, Monterey Pop Festival and there was a little tent there with, uh, I think, Mr. Moog himself, you know, saying, buy my, who will come step up, who will buy my new instrument? Uh, and uh, Mickey was, um, was pretty gobsmacked by seeing this and so he got it on the you know, doobled around on it and swiveled and <laughs> around with it on Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn and Jones, which I thought was marvelous, you know, great album. Stuff like Star Collector and Daily Nightly and yeah, I really love that album.
So Big, Big Monkey's Nut Me. I think the last one I bought of my own volition, as it were, was The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkeys. Mm-hmm. And then I think I started getting into deeper water. I started to get more into um, avant-garde jazz and heavy rock and stuff like that. And so it was uh, it was bye-bye to that section of my musical life after The Birds, Bees, and The Monkeys. Did you come back to it? Well, they're never far away. That's the thing. You know, right. it's... It's to do with, uh, you know, you're opening up to music. I was the age where I was opening up to music. Mm-hmm. Before, I just, you know, I, there was no rock and roll radio in England. There was no, you couldn't hear rock and roll, and that was for, you know, that was for older brothers or older people or people's dads in any case. Um, so that there wasn't pop radio as such. Uh, in 1967, I think, Radio 1 started in England, which was a B- the BBC pop station. Mm-hmm. Before then, you just had um, little kind of bits and pieces would, would pop up on, on radio, but there was no pop radio as such, you know. Right. But yeah, you always come back to the monkeys. They've, they've never been far from my heart. It's like your first loves, you know. You, you think about them and... At least with the monkeys, you can put the records on and say, "Hey, great! You know, loved that one, or still do love this one." You know, mm-hmm. and um, the fellow that uh, just coincidentally, the fellow that runs um, my ape label for me, a man called Declan Colgan, a lovely little stormy Irish fellow, uh, he um, he wrote the notes to a monkeys compilation uh, of all um, you know strange little happenstances. But yeah, I still love the monkeys very much now, and I think they did a great job, by the way, with the the two songs on um, on that uh, the album um, Good, Good Times. times. Yeah. I think they did a really good job. Love's what I want, what I want for a song. Yes, sir, it's all we have to give. Love's what I want. Yes, man, it's the only way to live I know it's a dark world When we can't get along I just had this one idea And put it in my song There's crazy folks out there Could 
answer It's all we have to give Love's what I want What I want for us all Yes, man It's the only way to to have these things called music vouchers we didn't have that in the states you, you always had to like go from album to album you know what i mean we had to try to make you didn't have uh, record vouchers no no oh man that that was a godsend because you know a kid couldn't afford not unless you had a paper round or uh you know you you did some sort of hey i'll, I'll clean your yard or whatever for for x amount of pennies you know um, there was no way of, of, of buying records. So, um, you know, relatives would say, oh, I'd like to buy and get Andrew something for his birthday. What would he like for his birthday? Oh, mum, tell her, tell her a record voucher, you know. So, yeah, and you'd, you'd store up these record vouchers and then either get singles with them or, or go crazy and and blow them all on an album or two, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. It's really helped, uh, uh, probably insidious, you know, insidious capitalist trick. But <laughs> it really it, it helped get you into music. Absolutely. Now, were there any certain albums that were harder to get being over in England? Was there any ones that you couldn't quite get access to? What, you mean specifically the Monkeys? Yes. Uh, no, no, because they were huge here. Ah. They were they were on a par. They weren't on a par critically with the Beatles. They were certainly on a par in terms of kind of, um, how shall I say, people's awareness of them and uh, the frequency of their music on the radio and stuff like that. Um, but they were they were looked down upon by, by critics, you know. And, and really unfairly, I, I thought, and, and even more unfairly, I think, now, you know, critics would say, uh, oh, this group doesn't even play their own instruments. They don't write their own songs. Yeah, but come on, they had the same musicians as played on the Beach Boys albums. Yes. For all intents and purposes, it's the Beach Boys. It's the Wrecking Crew. And you know, and then when and they so did play others. on their own albums, that is them playing. Mm -hmm. And then they oh, but they didn't write their own material. Yeah, but neither did the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or the Kinks or the Small Faces when they started. So there was a lot of very unfair sniping, I think, mm -hmm. now critically, you know. But that was that was probably 
from English critics that was probably a, a sort of nationalistic jealousy. Oh, there can't be a band that's on a par with our best, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think that this, the, the sniping that, that went on about them, you know, this, this thing about... The, oh, yeah, but no, nobody said that about the Beach Boys. Right. And it's the, it's the same fellas playing those instruments, you know. Yeah, mamas and papas, and the story goes on and on. It's so, it just, yeah, huge, huge. Yeah. You know, the birds. Yep. Um, well, yeah, it, there's too many of them. We could, we could just stay here all night just listing the wrecking crew or whatever they want to be called this week, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't say wrecking crew to, um, oh, who's the female bassist? What's her name? Carol. Uh, Carol Kay, yeah, yeah. she uh, she goes a bit goes a bit gorilla feces crazy. I I think. Well, she just doesn't want to be lumped into someone's uh, um, ideology. You know what I mean? She wants to yes, so. maintain. But you know, her they, when you're talking about them, you can't just you can't use a two or three sentence phrase every time. Right. Oh, that bunch of session musicians who who seem to be on most every recording from this year to this year. Uh, you know, you can't say that, so just give them some sort of loose name. Okay, they're the wrecking crew. So I'll make a note when I'm talking to Carol Kay to say uh, Studio Cats. You know? oh, yeah, right, just don't say wrecking crew. Yeah. She's going <laughs> she's gonna to land her size 10 penny in your crotch. Yeah, we don't want that. Now We don't have pennies. It took me, took me ages to figure out what a penny was when I heard, heard that word on a Beach Boys album. Mm-hmm. My penny flew right off. What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, I think that we have something in England called tenor pads, which are like ladies' incontinence pads. I'm sure he didn't mean, (laughs) you know, his his incontinent pad flew off. What is he talking about? (laughs) No, he did not mean that.
reason I asked if there were any of the records that were harder to come by was because even growing up in the States, I was born in 63, and to me, it seemed like after Birds, the Bees, and the Monkeys, the, the, the monkeys kind of fell off the radar in a sense because you had head and then you had changes and right up on through, you know what I mean? So, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, there's a the thing, head, you see. I didn't get to see head till many years later. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I remember it being kind of trailed and advertised and pushed greatly in Monkeys Monthly. Uh, and I really loved Poor Boy's song, uh -huh. you know, Carol King's um, contribution at that time. Apparently she hated the way they did it. Hmm. Um, was it that one? No, she hated the way they did Pleasant Valley Sunday. I'm sorry, I'm getting those two mixed up. Um, no, I think she was quite happy how they did Poor Boy's song. Uh, but I, I, I didn't see Head at the time. Um, and I can't think why. Maybe they were, I was just getting into other f sorts of music, and, you know, there's nothing as stale as the recently stale. Yes. Um, give something 20 years later, and it, wow, this is fresh again, but, if, you know, if it's stale by a year or two, oh, no, I don't want to know, you know. Mm -hmm. But, um, and when I did see Head, I... I a, I was very upset they used that film footage of the street execution in Vietnam in it. Yes. Because that is a piece of footage that haunts me still. Uh, when it was shown, because we had the Vietnam War shown on every news program every night in the UK. Yes. And thankfully our government at the time, who was uh, headed by Harold Wilson, uh, Labour, you know, socialist kind of Labour type fellow, um, the smartest thing he ever did was say, no, we're not coming in with you in this crazy war. You know, best thing, best thing that, that could have happened to England. But every night on every news program and almost every kind of documentary type thing was Vietnam War, Vietnam War. And, uh, yeah, I grew up seeing that. Yeah. And I grew up seeing this appalling film of the street execution and that camera lingers a long time on that poor fellow with the blood fountaining out of the hole in his head. Yes. And uh, it, it haunts me and still does. And, and I've, I was really annoyed they used that in, you know, I know terrible things happen in war. I don't want this terrible thing made into a, a sort of freak show. But keep showing it to me. Keep showing it to me. I really, I was very angry by whoever edited that in. Well, now, do you still have the same feeling? Yes. I saw it recently. I saw it about a year ago. And uh, I had to look away when, when that, that happens, because I just... I don't like seeing violence. I know it goes on. I don't, I don't like to see violence either, but I think the point in using it was because it's supposed to shock you. It's supposed to have the resonance that it has with you. It's not supposed to be something that you oh, just sure. dismiss. Oh, sure. I, I, I think that was a, a, a somehow a debased currency by putting the, the, the public disgusting, degrading death of somebody uh, as, oh, and this is shocking, you know. As, uh, as, as just something Why do I need culture? shocking? I'm watching a goofy pop film you know, four pretty young boys roaming around in the desert and 
which I need to be caught up in Victor Mature's hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, the, the last thing I want to see, and the last, the last required sentiment is shock, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Well, you're not the only one that feels this way. There, there are many fans, you know, as, as beloved as the film is, there are many people who feel that they're, this escape from reality was sure. uh, being ruined, in a sense. Yeah, but, but, I, but I, put, I put Head in the same... I, I didn't like it much. Um, I wasn't crazy about the music. I love Poor Boy's song. Wasn't, you know, Can You Dig It, I thought was a bit weak. Circle Sky isn't bad. Kind of punk before punk, Circle yeah, Sky. Yeah, very much. Um, but uh, I put Head in the same box as Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mystery Tour, I think, had better songs. But we're talking as a film sensation now. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't good enough. You know, it's not good enough to to sit for an hour and a half with no story, uh, just to see musicians you like goofing. Mm-hmm. It, it It's not good enough. Um, you know, at least Hard Day's Night and Help had a storyline and uh, you know, you, there was a, there was a journey, but there was no journey with with Head, and there was no journey with uh, Magical Mystery Tour, and it, they were both very much of the time. Very they much. were both very much uh, because we're so big, we can put any goofy crap uh, on film, and yeah, people love it because it's us. Well, no, doesn't work like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to ask you about some of the things you've had the opportunity. I would like to ask you about some of the things that you've had the opportunities to do. Like, for example, I look at some of your videos, and one in particular, and it's majors and generals. Oh, generals and majors, even. Oh, did I say it wrong? Well, then let me say it right. Um, no, I was going to say we could. Uh, you obviously saw the dyslexic one. Yes, yes, uh, general. <laughs> General and majors. Generals and majors, yeah.
Yeah, well, uh, but somebody said to me the other day, um, why was Richard Branson in that? And you, the only reason he was in that is to promote his self-promotion. That man is the biggest narcissistic self-promoter I ever met in my life. Uh, we were filming a, a documentary about the band, and we happened to be at Virgin Studios called The Manor. It was an old manor house, you know. Yes. And we're down there, and... Um, we needed a, it was decided that the track, uh, Generals and Majors, was going to be a single. And uh, we said, well, you know what, we've got a film crew here. We could knock up a video in like an hour. Something yeah. just, we're just messing around, you know. Uh, and I think it was awful when we're talking about people assuming that any old mucking about makes a great film. No, it doesn't. And the Generals <laughs> and Majors film is a good example of that. But well, we could not keep Richard Branson out of the film. When he heard the, there was a camera crew there, he, uh, he he leapt in his car, came down, and we could not keep him out of the from the front of the lens, you know? From what I understand, but, he wanted to horn in on this interview, too. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. No, he he uh, he, he was the biggest self-promoter I, I ever knew. And, um, yeah, we just couldn't stop him. Actually, funny you should touch on our videos. I do not like any of our videos. Well, there's a reason that I mentioned generals and majors. Because when I saw this for the first time back on the Mighty MTV, mm -hmm. I thought of a certain band that we're talking about today. I thought of the Monkees. It's kind yeah. of a Monkees I'm, I'm sure you would have, because we're just goofing around. We're doing all of the... Oh, they're on a bouncy castle. Oh, now they're in a go-kart track. Yeah. You know, now they're <laughs> they're playing waiters, goofing around, serving up stuff to a bunch of generals and majors. And it, it you know, it, it probably came from the same mental place, you know. Four good-looking fellas dicking around, as, as Shakespeare would have it. But um, was that... You know, did you when you, when you were filming that? Did you go, wow, this is kind of like the monkeys? Did that occur to you at all? Yeah, I think I think we thought, oh, you know, this is going to look so much like the monkeys, or it's going to look so much like the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, or or Help, or you know. Um, but but by I think by the time the Beatles got to Help, they were much calmer because they're all on dope. Yeah. So they're 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 not particularly bothering, but. Uh, there's there's lots of um, lots of younger enthusiasm uh, in Hard Day's Night, so yeah, I think I think we knew that we only had an hour or so to get this made, and there was no budget, zero budget, you know. Um, so we rustled up some. I think I had some some secondhand trousers on and, a, and an old waiter's jacket that was lying around and. Um, yeah, it was. It was. We just improvised, just goofed off for an hour, and that became the video for Generals and Majors. You know. Yeah. But yeah, it's the spirit of the monkeys is all the way through that. It's a. It's a definite romp. I. I you know. I. When I watch it, I even want to like kind of fill out the storyline. Like, here's what. Like, yeah. Right. You know, here's so the hang on. So they're they're prisoners in a go kart farm, <laughs> and they're they're in a secret military training. Camp and they're having to serve these these generals and majors with this 
yeah, and if only they could escape via the go-kart. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I think it would have been, one of you would have been dating one of the daughters of one of the generals, and she would have said, they're all mad, we've got to stop them, they're planning to go to war. And you guys. Yeah, would that would have been them. Colin. He was yeah. the good-looking. He was the one that looked like Rudolf Nureyev. I'm the <laughs> one who looked like Mr. Potato Head. You're mean to yourself, you shouldn't be that way. Oh, no, 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 realistic. Okay. Real lipstick, sir. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, what did you think of when you found out that there was a changes? And I'd also like your reaction to both Pullet and Justice, if you have one. I'm going to be uncomplimentary. I didn't like either of those albums. I thought, to me, the Monkees had a, a twangy, steely country guitar edge. Mm-hmm. Jangly. They, they had, you know, rattling drum kit. Uh, they had a high-pitched, booping bass sound. They had smooth uh, vocal harmonies, and the songs were were compact and concise. And somehow, when I got to hear both Pulit and Justice, it it was the '80s monkeys. It was samples. It was you know uh, synthetic drums it was booming crunching horrible um, digital 80s reverberation on everything and I, it didn't sound like the monkeys it, it the monkeys taste like the monkeys here was the monkeys but it tasted like bad chicken or something it, it didn't it didn't taste right it wasn't monkey meat you know it was it was some sort of burger made from processed pea fowl. Oh. You know, it, it, it wasn't right. And in fact, when I was asked to write for the, for all intents and purposes, comeback album, uh, you know, a little while ago, I said I'll do it on the condition that it sounds like 66, 67 monkeys. Uh, because that is what I loved. That is that sound, that steely country-themed guitar, those uh, those uh, sort of swooshing acoustics. That you know what I mean. The, the whole the whole fingerprint, the sonic fingerprint of the monkeys, with was that stuff. And I said I'll only do it if if uh, the album is going to sound like that. And thankfully, somebody had uh, had woken up and said, "Well, that's that's the monkey's signature sound, and that's what we're going to go for." So it was like, "Great, get me on board." Excellent. That uh, that is something that I feel is as important in their musical DNA as our, you know, as is Mickey Dolenz's voice, right? Yeah, totally. I. I um, it's obviously a shame that it's a shame that Davey uh, is no longer with us because I thought he had a, a very distinctive voice too, and I would have loved to have written a kind of um, vaudeville slash show tune hoofer song for him to soft shoe to. You know, I would have loved to have done that sort of thing, and and I had several ideas in my head, but they had to stay buried because there is no Davey. So, so you know, when I wrote um, "You Bring the Summer" and "Loves What I Want," I, I started well, certainly with "You Bring the Summer." I started with that memorable guitar hook with the with the steely sounding guitar, you know, that they had on all their 
their early hits. Um, and uh, it was acoustic guitar powered, you know. Uh, I wanted it to sound like Poison Heart had written it or Carol King had written it or, uh, um, you know, uh, Neil Diamond had written it. Just don't let him sing. Um, I wanted it to sound like a classic monkey's fingerprint. Now, did you happen to see the video that was made by uh, Michael Nesmith's son, John? Yeah, I did. Um, his partner. And I thought it was it was pretty charming stuff. It, it looks like a pretty low budget thing, um, but uh, to be fair, it, it, it had some really great little ideas. You know, fitting all the monkeys' album sleeves into it. Uh, and I, I, of course, I was guilty of, of being a bit naughty with that as well because. I put a reverential in verse three, I think it is, of You Bring the Summer. I originally wrote um, Birds, Bees, and Monkeys Fly Around Me. Uh, and they changed it to Birds and Bees Fly Around Me, which didn't quite scan. But I thought, oh, okay, so maybe Mickey doesn't want to be self-reverential. But I really wanted to hear the monkeys singing one of the titles of their own albums. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to see that they... They referred to uh, their their album sleeves in in that film. I thought that was the the best piece of it, you know, the best sort of um, theme mm-hmm. of that little video. It was a great way to have the monkeys romping about to your song, and Jonathan and uh, Nesmith and Susan Holloway did a fantastic job with that. Yeah, they they did a good little job. Oh, and also, if you, you I think you have, probably have to freeze frame, but. The, when I think is it Davey is reading a newspaper. Yes. If you freeze frame the newspaper, you can see that one of the articles is the lyrics. Yes. To the song. It's amazing. But you yeah, were, and I think my name's in there somewhere, which is little yeah. thrill, you know. Well, not only that, the the song you wrote, there's a monkey mobile in it. Seriously, that had to like put a smile on your face. Uh, yeah. Well, and look, anything to do with that whole project put yeah. a big smile on my face completely. Very good. Uh, I think everyone did a did a great little job. They really do. So I know you can't say much, if anything, more than what you have. But if you were to write for something that had something to do with the monkeys in the future, what do you think you'd like to do? Um, I I just can't tell you. I can't tell you. <laughs> I had but to, I have a I had huge smile on my face. Yeah, I had to ask. That's all I can say. Yeah, uh, all I'm going to say is I've got a huge, huge smile on my face, uh, and I can't tell you any more. Uh-huh. I was after uh, John Hughes, the uh, the the gentleman at Rhino, who kind of heads up everything over at uh, Rhino headquarters for the monkeys, I told him that he should have made a Christmas song called You Bring the Christmas based on You Bring the Summer. You know how they were oh. that, that gets the uh, the Dead Pigeon of the Night Award there, I think. <laughs> you don't like that idea? No, I my lips are sealed. Oh, my, okay. my my seals are lipped. Well, there you go. That's, that's the important thing. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> so what is new for XTC? What do you have coming up? Well, as um, today, I was mixing some stuff with a good friend of mine in his studio, Stuart Rowe, um, and we've been kind of piecing an album together of improvised songs.
songs is the best way that, you know, they weren't written and then recorded. They were recorded as they were being written, as they were being recorded, and diced and chopped and messed with and thrown against the wall and so on. And this project's been going on for, I don't know, like five years on and off. And so we're, we're mixing some of those today. So that's in the offing at some point. That'll be under the title of The Club Men. And also, the last 10 years for me, I've, I've more or less exclusively, although I've done a few projects for myself, more or less exclusively written for others. And by that token, you get an awful lot of rejects doesn't mean they're bad songs it just means that for whatever reason that material wasn't right for that artist at that point in time or their ego is too big and because they weren't in the room when it was written they're not going to cover it so I do have an awful lot of songs which I'm going to be doing something with but that's sort of a semi surprise um, I've kind of spoiled the surprise a bit but yes I will be doing something with uh, an awful lot of material. I have several other projects up my sleeve, but I'm not going to tell you about them because they, they may curse them if they don't come to fruition. Totally understand that. Well, you were somebody that I've wanted to talk to for a long time as far as being a Monkees fan. And uh, as, as someone who has enjoyed your musical output throughout the years, it, it is quite an honor to speak to you. Oh, cheers. I'm I'm blushing. If this was on video phone, you'd see me looking like this, the young Gamine Gene Simmons. Um, <laughs> and Richard Branson <laughs> might be peeking over your shoulder, for all we know. <laughs> yes. No, it's just an old sock on the sofa here. <laughs> Thanks, man. really appreciate that. Well, I want to thank you for being on Zilch today. And we look forward to whatever may happen in the potential future. Monkeys it will happen. Uh -huh. Fear not, it will happen. Well, All right, go, cheers, my dears. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. We got through it. Absolutely. I think it we was, got through it. Nobody's bleeding. That's the important thing. <laughs> All right, cheers, man. All right, we'll see you. Bye. Hey, bye. Let's listen for a holiday message from Fred Velez. See you in 2018. Bye. Okay, I'm done. Hi, everybody in Zilch Nation. This is Fred and Linda Velez. Velez wishing everyone out there. A very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And a Happy Hanukkah to all, Kwanzaa and all the rest. We love you and remember that Christmas is our, is our time, time of, of year. year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. Christmas Day is
Cristo patriarca de carne vestito, ya nos redimido con cejace chequito, aunque infinito, finito se hiciera. Riu, riu, shiu, la guada rivera. Dios guardó, Dios guardó el lobo de nuestra codera. Dios guardó, Dios guardó el lobo de nuestra codera. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. Where's your Mutt Merch? Mutt Merch makes you and your dog rock gods with shirts like Bones and Noses, Black Labba, and more. 
Go to muttmerch.com for all the details. For those about to bark, we, we salute you. Muttmerch.com. Hi again, fellow monkeys fans. Al Bigley here, also known as Mendrick the Magnificent. And your favorite humble mentalist, Alan Araculo Williams. We just wanted to let you know about our new monkeys podcast called The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Where we reminisce and ruminate along with you guys about our favorite entertainment entity, the monkeys. Who? Oh, oh, of course, the monkeys. We talk about anything and everything. Our own personal memories and opinions, watershed moments in the group's history. You'll hear my partner's famous, amazing remixes of your favorite monkey tunes. Who knows what else we can think of, depending on whether the brain cells work. That's right. Find us on our Facebook page. Just search for the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Or go to blockspot.com and search for us there. A monkey's podcast for everyone. The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion. Check us out. Hi, I'm Ken Mills. And I'm Courtney Cronendold. And we're from... Pop! A pop culture podcast. Courtney, what do we talk about on Pop? We talk about everything from the love boat to the billion dollar person. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. You know, I guess it's with inflation. The six million dollar man is worth what? How many trillion now, right? The million dollar person. I mean, what the f***? That's a great, that's my favorite show is the million dollar person. If you love pop culture and you love having fun, that's really what the show's about having fun and pop culture join the conversation find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pop podcast find us on itunes or at poppodcast.blogspot.com you can find us on instagram at pop podcast p-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t i'm not hip enough for instagram Oh, hot, hot. So thank you. I wish you all the best. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Remember the best holiday in the world? Another day above ground day. Don't mm-hmm. wait. To, don't look yeah, at the calendar to say, oh, today's a uh, mm-hmm. tie my that's shoelaces that's day. Mm-hmm. Best holiday you can have is waking up in the morning. God bless you all. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays to you.